I think we're all there. Two weeks' time, uh, Ali and I are going to be on holiday in North Cornwall at a little bay that, uh, well, my family's been going there for the last 60-odd years. And uh, whilst I'm not looking forward to the drive, which I think is the longest drive that we'll ever have had uh, to Cornwall from the place where we've lived, I am looking forward to being on the beach, and I am looking forward to swimming in the sea. It's a place I know very well indeed, and I've got favourite spots to swim, to surf, and to do all kinds of things, even to snorkel. And uh, a few years ago, I I guess a number of us here will remember the time when that happened, uh, a series of flags were introduced for our beaches. I'm not talking about the blue flag, which says that this is a European sort of uh, clean beach, but I'm talking about the sort of red and the red and yellow and the black and white uh, flags. And uh, they put up these flags on the beaches. A red flag said, well, it's dangerous. Uh, No going in the sea, no swimming. Then there's the uh, red and yellow flag to say that uh, this area, that area you can go and swim in. And then there's the uh, blue and the white checkered flag for those who think that they really uh, are on holiday in Hawaii. And that's for those of you who want to go on your surfboards. And I know the beach really quite well. And I guess most of you, uh, if you go back to the same beach, know the same beaches really quite well. And those flags are there for a safeguard for me, there to help me and Ali and everyone else to stay safe. And I will ignore them at my peril. They mean that we can go into the sea and we'll be kept from danger because there's going to be a lifeguard watching us and making sure that we go in and come back uh, out safely. Well, our passage this evening is a bit like those flags. It provides vital information for us to stay safe spiritually. If you look at uh, the opening words, Paul writes, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. So be it uh, Paul's original recipients of this letter, or indeed those of us who read it 2,000 years later, these words tonight we are looking at are a safeguard to us. And if we act on them, we will be kept safe spiritually, safe in our relationship with the Lord God. And what is it that Paul says will do that? The answer is, I think, uh, surprising and remarkably simple. It's simply this. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. I guess if we were to uh, be asked that question, what is going to keep you safe? I guess a number of us would say all sorts of things, but we may not say that. Rejoice in the Lord. That is what's going to keep us safe. And Paul has already encouraged uh, the people in Philippi, and we've been encouraged as we've looked at the letter over the last few weeks, that we are to be rejoicing in the Lord. And that's why Paul says, look, it's no trouble for me to write the same things again, to tell you to do it again and again and again, because it is going to keep you safe. Because rejoicing in the Lord does three things, according to these verses before us tonight. Firstly, it makes us abandon all confidence in ourself. Second, it reminds us to place all confidence in Christ And then thirdly, it reminds us to share in Christ's death and resurrection. We're going to spend some time looking at each, and we'll spend slightly more time looking at the first two. So the first one, again, if you're taking notes, is this. Rejoicing in the Lord makes us abandon all confidence in self. Rejoicing in the Lord makes us abandon all confidence in self. 
You see, if we rejoice in the Lord, if we are joyful in who he is and and what he has done, then we're going to keep on reminding ourselves of that if we rejoice in him, aren't we? It will stop us rejoicing in ourselves or in any other thing or any other person. It'll stop us taking pride in what we have done and the ways in which we think we are gaining right status with God. That's exactly what the danger was in Philippi. The danger there was that people were coming and saying, look, you can rejoice in who you are and in what you do. Just to highlight the situation in Philippi, verse 2 and verse 3 set it out very nicely for us. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, it's very obvious, isn't it, that Paul is very concerned for what may happen to the Philippians. He doesn't mince his words, does he? These people that are coming into Philippi are dangerous and evil because they're saying that in order to be right with God, you've got to be circumcised in addition to following Christ. If you like it, saying you need the gospel plus something else. You need Jesus Christ plus something that you have done. And Paul says here that there are Three reasons why that is totally wrong. First off, he says, Christians are the circumcision. Because our hearts have been circumcised by the Holy Spirit. Romans 2 verse 29. The Holy Spirit's presence in our hearts marks us out as his people. We don't need the sign of circumcision. That is gone. It's pointless. Second, we are the ones who glory in Christ. In him alone and not what we do or or we don't add to what he has done. And thirdly, he makes it very clear, it's it's about not putting confidence in the flesh again. Not in what we can do and in who we are. And then, uh, just to make his point even more clear, Paul gives us a quick lesson in economics. Now, I guess until the past uh, few months or year or so, uh, most of us would have paid little attention to economics, I guess if we were going abroad, we might have checked the exchange rate and tried to uh, buy uh, our foreign currency at the best rate possible. We might have got interested in it around the budget time because it might cost us a bit more money. But this year, it's kind of got a different feel about it, hasn't it? We are all interested in our economy. We are concerned about it because it is important and it's going to affect us. What the Chancellor says this Tuesday is going to affect each one of us, and I suspect quite painfully too. And that's exactly, exactly the same with God's economy. It it affects every single one of us, and we need to learn how to budget properly within it. You see, if we get the economy in the United Kingdom wrong, it will bring financial disaster. It may lead to unemployment, to financial ruin, A bankrupt nation, a bankrupt business. And you see, if that bankrupts us financially, getting the economy wrong in God's kingdom bankrupts us eternally and spiritually. And Paul knows it. 
Paul knows this, and that's why he is desperate that the Philippians aren't going to get hoodwinked into going to believe in something other than the gospel by adding to it. It may sound super spiritual, but actually, as we're going to find out, it is worse than doing nothing. You see, Paul wants everyone to see what is credit, what counts in God's economy, and what is loss, what is debit in God's economy. And he's going to use himself as a worked example. Very humble of Paul to do this. And he starts in verse 4 by saying, look, if anyone has any reasons for confidence in the flesh and confidence in the things that they do, well, actually, I myself have got great reasons for that. In fact, if anyone thinks that he's got reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Because of who I am, my, my background and my pedigree, and because of my behaviour or my performance. Just listen to how he describes his own pedigree or his background. It's perfect. Uh, verse 5, he says, he was done on the eighth day, just as every good Hebrew should be. Uh, he's of the people of Israel, God's people. And more than that, he is of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes that remained loyal to God's king, David. He's also, he's the genuine article. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. If he was a dog at Crufts, he would be top of the show. But what about his performance? Well, that is perfect too. The end of verse 5, he says, In regard to the law, well, I was a Pharisee. I was fanatical about keeping the law. If anyone was fanatical, it was me. I was right up there. Ticked every box. And add to that, of course, I used to persecute the church. Because they seem to be doing contrary, things contrary to the law. In short, Paul says, I was legalistically righteous. If anyone could be right before God, have that tick in the box, it was me. I would have had not just credit, I would have been a billionaire in heaven. But, but, verse 7. He's realised that that is not the way that God's economy works. Verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything, lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ to be found in him. You see, Paul has realized that any credit he thought he had banked in God's bank in the bank in heaven, was worthless. In fact, actually, it all appeared on the debit sheet. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson has written a, uh, a great um, commentary on this book, and Richard Chester kindly lent it to me this afternoon. And in it, it's got an illustration of, uh, we all go to the bank, don't we? We pay money and checks in. And just imagine if you've been doing that for years and years and years, thinking that your bank balance was getting better and better and better. And then one day to find out when you go into the bank that far from going in on the credit side, it was going in on the debit side. That all you were doing was building up a massive overdraft. That is what Paul says he realised was happening. In fact, he says it was all rubbish. All rubbish, the end of verse 8. 
The NIV translators here have been too embarrassed to use Paul's real word here. I think I can do it. Uh, He he literally means uh, excrement or dung. Paul's got no qualms of using that word because he wants us to see just how offensive, just how offensive confidence in self, in me, your confidence in you and in the things we do and in who we are, how offensive that is to God. He says that coming before God, our Heavenly Father, with our background and our behaviour, is repulsive. In fact, it's just like coming before our earthly father on Father's Day with a handful of soiled nappies. Paul says this is why the Christian must abandon all confidence in self. And when we see it that way, we see that Paul is absolutely right to speak as he did in verse 2. To talk about those people who were the dogs, who do evil, who mutilate the flesh, because all they were doing was cutting people for no reason at all. And not only that, they were giving people false confidence before God and in fact actually undermining the faith of those who had come to Christ already. I remember the first time I realised what Paul was talking about. Uh, You may uh, know already that I grew up going to church. Uh, Some of you may have heard that I'd been to church two and a half thousand times before I realised these words for myself. I thought that because I'd been baptised and... uh, Here, baptism certificate. Uh, Because I was uh, confirmed, here's my uh, confirmation certificate. Because I sang in the choir and I helped at communion, because I went to church regularly, well, my credit was way up there in God's bank. And it wasn't until I was uh, 20 that I realised that all these things that I thought were credits were no credit at all that I could place no confidence in them at all. In fact, I had to abandon confidence in them. And if you were to look at me now, I've got even more uh, official documents. I've got um, something to say I've got a diploma in ministry with merit. I've got something to say that uh, I was uh, ordained deacon, something to say that I was ordained as a presbyter, and something to say that I'm even licensed in this diocese to be uh, a minister here. And you know what? They count for nothing. Absolutely nothing. They are worthless in the bank of heaven. If I rely on these to get me into heaven, then I am banking an overdraft I cannot pay. Because it's all about who I am and what I have done. These are all just badges of honour Badges of honour that I might have once had confidence in, they count for nothing. And Paul says here, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And when I rejoice in the Lord, I take my eyes off these things. It takes my eyes off who I am and what I have done. It reminds me that I, those things, if I rely on those things for being right with God, then they are an offence to God. None of us can take any confidence in who we are and what we have done. I wonder what uh, you need to abandon. I wonder what you need to abandon that you are trusting in for your confidence before God. What about yourself and the things you have done? 
Where are you placing confidence tonight? We often say in Christianity Explored, if you were to uh, uh, meet God tonight, and let's face it, any of that could happen to any of us. If you were to meet God tonight and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer him? And the answer is that if we say, because I, because I am or because I have done, then that is just mere offence and a stench in God's nostrils. There's no confidence there. So if that is you, if you are holding on to something in your life as confidence with God, please, please, please abandon it here and now. It is worthless. In fact, it is dangerous. It will get you nowhere except to hell. And these words are not just pertinent to anybody who is thinking of becoming a Christian, to someone who is starting out the Christian life, but they're pertinent too for those of us who have been Christians for a while. Because not only do you begin the Christian life with confidence in Christ, not in myself, but you go on that way. And of course there there are things that we do in the Christian life which the Bible encourages Things like meeting here tonight, or praying, or reading your Bible, coming to prayer meetings. Those things are all important, but don't confuse doing those things in response to what God has given you, in response to God's grace, with the way by which we come to gain his grace and favour. One is a response, the other is a religious activity. Well, I have to admit, uh, the first uh, few verses of this passage tonight are rather negative, aren't they? But as I often say, you need to hear the negative in order to realise that the positive is such good news. And we do find hugely and amazing news here, because if we have to abandon confidence in ourselves, the question is, where are we going to place it? Because in our world, everybody says that I am the safest person to handle my life. My life is most safe in my own hands. But these verses tell us otherwise. And that's the second main point tonight, is that rejoicing in the Lord makes us place all confidence in Christ. Rejoicing in the Lord makes us place all confidence in Christ. Just listen again to verses 7, 8 and 9. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. See, when Paul met the Lord Jesus, on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute more Christians, he finally realised who Jesus was. And he realised too what Jesus had done for him. And he realised that all his personal identity and all his personal attributes, so all that he had done, all that he was, well, those were irrelevant because of who Jesus is and what he has done. 
He realised that when that had happened, he wanted to know Jesus Christ more and more and more. Because he realised that Jesus Christ had died on a cross, that there he had borne his sins and the sins of the whole world. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he realised that God had made him sin, that is Jesus' sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, that's what it means here in verse 9. That's what it means here to have righteousness. There are three things about being right with God here. The first is, we've already seen it, it was our first main point, it is about abandoning self-righteousness. Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own. Quite literally, not having of me a righteousness. That's the first thing about righteousness. The second thing is that it is a righteousness that is of God. That is the words that Paul writes here. It is of God. And then thirdly, it comes by faith. You see, this is why we have to abandon all confidence in ourselves. And until we do that, we will never ever believe in Jesus Christ and receive by faith what he has done for us. Which is quite outstanding because Paul says, look, I count the rest of my life absolute rubbish. Absolute dung in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for me. And if you can't say that here tonight, then it may well be that you have not understood what Jesus has done. What we are remembering as we gather around this table that it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we can be and are set right with God. If you go to uh, Mount Sinai in Egypt, you'll probably want to climb it. Most people do. Uh, Some people fail, but uh, many people won't get to the top and back down again. And uh, it's quite a hard job, but it's been made infinitely easier because some monks a few centuries ago uh, decided to chisel out of the rock a series of steps, not just one or two, but 3,750 steps. And they did it, they did it as a penance. They did it out of penitence. They thought that they were earning their way to God. And they're called the steps of penitence. And that is a tragic example, isn't it, of how misguided people can be and how blind. Because God has provided the means for us by which we can be right with him. We remembered it in the uh, last hymn that we sang, In Christ Alone. Uh, I've said to my wife, Ali, that this is a hymn that I want at my funeral to make a point to those that are there that it is my confidence as I come face to face with God. My confidence is not in who I am, not in any of this, but in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. That is where true confidence is found. And you can see, when you you see that, you can see why Paul calls those people dogs in verse 2. Why he is so vehement about warning the Philippians about them. Because they might be robbing those Philippians of their, of their confidence in Christ and giving them false hope. 
That's why Paul says rejoice in the Lord because it will stop us forgetting what he has done. The more we rejoice in the Lord, the less we are likely to forget what Christ has done for us upon the cross. Well, if there's anyone here tonight who has yet to put their faith in Jesus Christ, I hope you and pray that you've seen how God's economy works, that only Jesus Christ, faith and confidence in him, will store you up what is needed for you to be right with God. And in fact, it's not a storing up that's needed. It's a once-off transaction that is done when we come to believe in him. You know, you may may be doing things to be right with God. They may be sincere. They may feel good. But if that's what you're relying on for heaven, then they're useless. And I'm just going to encourage us uh, after the sermon just to take some time, just to take some time after the sermon and during communion tonight or even after the service, just to draw up an account, draw up an account of what our account looks like with God and whether there are things that are in the credit column that we are relying on that should and are in reality in the debit column because it's only when we do that that the reality will strike home in our hearts about whether we are relying on something other than Christ well finally as I close you may feel quite proud that you are a Christian here tonight You may think that because uh, Christ has paid the price for you, that in some way that gives you, well, some right to being seen in a different light in this world, that perhaps it's going to be an easy ride in the Christian life. Or perhaps God owes you some favours. Well, if that's you, then these uh, final two verses are perhaps a huge surprise because they remind us that rejoicing in the Lord keeps us sharing in Christ's death and resurrection. It keeps us sharing in Christ's death and resurrection. Just look at uh, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. A better translation here is that I want to know Christ more and more and more and more and more. And more and more and more and more. He doesn't want to stagnate just like a pool of water stagnates and festers. He wants to go on growing in his knowledge of Christ. You see, when, uh, when you start to get to know somebody and you start to love somebody, that's exactly what you do, isn't it? You want to get to know them more and more and more. And as you love them more, you want to get to know them more. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. I want to get to know you more and more, Jesus, because of who you are and what you have done for me. And he says, I want to know the power of your resurrection. Why? Because I can't live the life that you've called me to live without your power at work in my life. Because I know that I will continue to sin and I will continue to struggle in it. And it's only by your power that I can struggle on and keep going and be changed, and be the person that you want me to be. And it's only as that happens that we want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. To partner him, even unto death. 
That's what that uh, amazing creed that we uh, said all together at the beginning from Philippians 2 is all about. Jesus humbling himself, allowing himself to be killed for us, and then God raising him for us. That's the pattern of the Christian life. Suffering now and glory later. And Paul knows that, that that is going to go on until sometime in the future. He doesn't know when, but sometime in the future he will die and he will come face to face with the Lord. Somehow in the future. He doesn't doubt it will be in Christ and because of Christ, but somehow in the future he is going to be raised from the dead. That is his absolute confidence. And I think as Christians this is the hard part, isn't it? of rejoicing in the Lord, of being prepared to rejoice even though we suffer. And yet, do you see how rejoicing in the Lord keeps us walking that path of suffering? Just let me remind you again as I uh, begin to conclude from verses 7 through to 9. Let me just read those words to you just to remind you the place of Christ in Paul's heart. And this is why he can rejoice even though suffering for Christ. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. You see, the mark of the person who is set right with God is that they are going to rejoice and they are going to be prepared to suffer. That is the route for the Christian. Suffering now and glory later. And the way to keep us doing that, even in the tough times, even tomorrow, will be to rejoice in him. Well, as I close tonight, we stand, don't we, on the verge of a new economic era in this country. But I wonder if you are someone who is living in God's economy, whether you are seeing things as God does and living in the light of them, whether you are rejoicing in Christ and placing placing no confidence in ourselves, but placing all confidence in him whether we are rejoicing in Christ and so ready and willing to follow him, even unto death. Let's just spend some moments just thinking, looking at our account with God, looking at what we may have put in the credit column, which should in fact be, and which is in reality, in the overdraft column.